Welcome to Creepy Kentucky. I'm Quinn. And I'm Laura. And uh, I believe we have some uh, business to take care of before we jump into a topic. Yes. I watched American Animals, yeah. the movie We're... that they made about the yeah. Transylvania Buck Heist. We're jumping back to... Um, we're jumping back to the Transylvania Book Heist yes. episode, which, in my opinion, is one of our top, like, two or three. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty good. Yeah. But the movie was on Hulu. Yeah. Okay. And I figured... Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? Let's why not? see how accurate yeah. I was and how accurate this movie yeah. is. Yeah. It was pretty spot on, Okay, believe it or not. Well, I'm assuming that Eric Borsuk, like, helped with the movie, right? I don't... Or did he? I don't we know. said they were in the movie. Yeah, they were They were all in it. They were all being interviewed in the movie. Yeah. Talking about <laughs> what their thoughts were. And oh. Did they, like, stop the action and be like, so what happened here? It was more, uh, they would talk about it and then they would play a bit of the movie oh, that okay. shows like what they did okay and after a while they kind of stopped cutting into it yeah. and explaining and they just let the movie play okay. out yeah and then towards the end they yeah. talked they had more like interview stuff yeah they did pull a weird thing towards the end where they weren't sure if warren ever actually went overseas or not well, okay. Because, like, yeah. when he met with the book de- when he met with the, the yeah, guy, in, yeah, uh, the book dealer in, in the, the Netherlands, Netherlands. yeah. Because, okay. I mean, I Spencer like, said, yeah. well, all I really know yeah. is that I dropped him off at the airport and picked him up so at the airport. So where did they think he was if he wasn't at the airport? I don't know. They never, like, that's all they said about it. Well, and two, like doesn't like i mean the netherlands just had him written all over it i can't i can't imagine that he didn't take the opportunity to go to, to actually go to amsterdam when he had the chance exactly but you know i mean shit happened i mean i get ship happen shit happens yeah but, you know uh evan peters you're, was pretty good yeah you're D- played warren very yeah. well good yeah they actually at one point had him talking to the actual Warren. Yeah. They were sitting in the car outside of a convenience store. Yeah. Just cool. kind of talking. Yeah, it was interesting. The one thing that I wish I had known before the episode yeah. was that Warren has a tattoo <laughs> of a T-Rex right. trying to turn on a ceiling fan. <laughs> but he can't, yeah, he quite can't reach. reach it. He can't quite reach I it. I mean, like... Watch that. Watch searches for that go, go yeah. up. Yeah. By like 29. <laughs> yeah. By like one, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's probably Well, it. two, because I'm going to look it up. So, yeah. It's, it's a very simplistic tattoo. It's yeah. not anything Aww. fancy, but. Yeah, but it gets the point across. It gets a point across, yeah. I assume. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the most worn thing. Like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they did have that they borrowed. Chaz's mom's car. They didn't have that she was selling it the next day, which oh. I was a little upset. Oh yeah, about, that was really funny. That that was why they. Well, that was why they had to do it 
by a certain time. Yeah. Because she had to get her car back by a certain time because she had to sell it. Yes. So, like, that and very it, day. And it helped in their favor because the car wasn't even going to be in... It wasn't going to be, yeah, anywhere near them. Exactly. Like, physically, and it wasn't going to be, like, in her name anymore and and all that sort of stuff. It was totally gone from the scene. Yes. So, hot tip for anyone preparing a robbery. Sell your car, actually. Borrow someone (laughs) who's going to sell their car. Yes. Like, 100% do that. Yeah. But, yeah, it... So what? So out of a hundred, what would you give it? Uh, I'd rate it pretty high, probably about like eighty, eighty-five. Yeah. I really didn't like the kind of view they shifted towards in the last. It was only in the last ten minutes. Yeah. If that. Yeah. That they were like, oh, I don't even know if Warren actually. Yeah. Went overseas oh. or actually met anybody. Well. And then all Warren had to say about it was, oh, you're just going to have to trust me. Okay. You're well. going to take my word for it. Yeah. He has no souvenirs. Oh, Warren. Right? <laughs> you, got, you didn't get like a little magnet that said Amsterdam <laughs> on it or something? A keychain? Something? I went to Amsterdam and all, all I got, got was this keychain. Che- yeah. All I got was this lousy t-shirt and, you know, recommendations for how to steal books. Yeah. Ah, and then I had a big eye roll when Warren started crying when they were Uh, talking about what they did to Betty Jean. I mean, well, I mean, it's like, it's completely legit to me that he could be crying, but only because the effect it had on him. Yeah. Because, yeah, it was... Not necessarily the effect it had on her so much as the effect what happened to her had on him. Yeah. Like. What he had to do to her. Yeah. So, yeah, I totally can see that being. It was just like, whatever, Warren. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean. But my my favorite part was Evan Peters, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Her favorite part was any scene with Evan Peters. Her least favorite part, any Any scene scene without without Evan Evan Peters. Peters. So, yeah. Yep. (laughs) We can see where this is going. Yeah. I just, I love Evan Peters. What can I say? He's my husband. Isn't he problematic now, though? I haven't heard anything else about him being problematic, so. Good. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. Just stay out of the news for a while. Yeah. Like, if you're problematic for a while, just, just... Go underground. Just go underground. Like, just don't make any waves. Yeah. Like, American Horror Story is still out there. It's, you yeah. know, you're still going to have fans. I think it's on hiatus because of COVID. 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 Yeah. <sighs> yeah. COVID. Yeah. But yeah, the movie is good. Check it out. I have the book now, so I can read that. Yay. It was yeah. a good book. Like, it makes them sound like a lot sadder. Like they did it. They didn't really have a plan for it. They yeah, didn't really, really think through what was going to happen. They didn't really like after it happened, they were kind of like, well, now what? That's <laughs> um, they had their parents on there, too. Talking oh my about God. how they were. Uh, and, yeah. Um, I think Chaz wanted to be. 
politics. And well, good luck with that. He was an yeah. entrepreneur. Oh, he is an entrepreneur. Well, he published his own book, so there's that. Yeah. Mr. Pink. <laughs> Mr. Pink. He said that. Mr. Pink. Pink. They called him Mr. Pink just to fuck with him. Well, yeah, that was Warren's exact words, was I just wanted to fuck with him. Yeah. 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 There was one part where they were, right after they left Christie's yeah. in New York, where um, Chaz got pissed. Yeah. Because Spencer gave his phone number. Yeah. And Warren goes, oh, come on, Mr. Pink, what are you going to do? And he pulls out a gun. <laughs> And I'm just like, whoa! No, like, whoa! <laughs> whoa, Chaz! Chaz, no. What the hell, man? Oh, Chaz, no. Yeah, it was, it was entertaining. Chaz, no. I was, I was cackling almost mm-hmm. the entire movie, just because. Yeah. It does help to go into a movie like that knowing the backstory. Exactly. Yeah. I was just, I was very impressed with how accurate both my research was and how accurate the movie, the movie was. was yeah yeah they did a good job yeah Despite yeah the last like few minutes there and they yeah. went in and showed like uh what each of them's doing now oh. spencer still lives in lexington yeah well the one guy still paints right mm-hmm. that's spencer spencer yeah. yeah he lives in lexington and paints yeah um so eric is an aspiring author huh i mean yeah he wrote because he wrote the book, yeah. But he's trying to write more. Oh, good for him. Yeah. One of them's making movies, I think. I think it was... I think Chaz. I think Chaz is making movies. Yeah. Warren's just all... Warren's in college again. Of course That's he Warren's is. Warren's doing. Warren's back in college. I mean, is he getting a lot of college tale from his uh, exploits? <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> I was in American Animal. <laughs> I was in a movie. Hey, you want to see I it? stole a bunch of books. You want to see it? <laughs> and girls are like, eh, what? <laughs> Those 18-year-old college girls are like, eh. The scene, the scene where Leave they stole them and went into the elevator and accidentally hit the first floor. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I mean, was, I'm just going to say, like, that, <laughs> yeah. And then they go down, and they can't find the exit through the basement from the elevator. Yeah. So they go back in, and Evan Peters is like, all right, we're going to have to make a run for it. Uh, <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and, and, the, and, and the library's, ta- the library's chasing after him. <laughs> Uh, and, and then they drop them and, and just keep running. The one, the one guy who went to Trancy was like, I saw you guys like busting out the door. <laughs> and the librarian was right out, right behind you. <laughs> that was in the, driving. Yeah, that was in the book. That was in the in Eric's book, too. Oh, my God. That was the best part. Well, Eric, did, did they have in the book that Eric was like, he was supposed to stay downstairs mm-hmm. and t- until after he had apprehended until BJ. after he had like done his thing to BJ. Yeah, and he called him up and he walked in and there's BJ like, like she let him in. She let him in. And he's like, he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what? He, he basically made him help. Yeah, exactly. Take her out, which yeah. was, and Eric was like not happy about that. No, he was not. Yeah. 
Yeah. So yeah, watch American Animals. Oh yeah, it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. I, I mean, recommend it. Yeah. I mean, let's think of any other. I don't can't think of any other like Kentucky, like movies that we. I can't. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's some TV shows, like some true crime stuff. And obviously, like, there's tons of ghost shows, but that's, like, different than a movie. Yeah. That's the only one I can think of. Mm-hmm. Right offhand. Same. Because I don't think, like, I don't think Kentucky, like, I think Waverly Hills has a couple, of, like, really schlocky ones. Yeah, but like nothing, Death Tunnel. Yeah. But nothing, like, super serious. I think I've met the guys that made Death Tunnel. The St. Booth or whatever? The Booth Brothers? The Booth Brothers. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was walking around Scarefest. Yeah. And like a skeleton corset and gas mask. Yeah. And they stopped me and asked to take a picture with me. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Can I be in your movie? Can I be in your next movie? And then I made this kid's entire trip. Because he asked if I could say, are you my mommy? Oh, God. Because I had gas mask on. <laughs> yeah. And I just looked mm-hmm. at him and went, are you my mommy? Because <laughs> I knew what he was talking yeah. about. And he was like, oh, thank you. I don't. What is Doctor it? Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mommy. That'd be good. Oh, that'd be creepy. Are you my mommy? Oh, yeah. Oh, mommy. Oh my god, that would be creepy as hell. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm a creepy person. What can I say? <laughs> You're like, check and check. <laughs> I'm check creepy and, and a person, so. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anyway, what's our topic? Because now it's a surprise, and I'm really okay. I'm eager to hear what it is. All right. Uh, my topic today is Appalachian Death Customs. <gasps> oh, okay. <Yeah>. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, death was originally a private affair within a family back in the old, old days. Uh, Because of disease and odor, the original goal was to bury the body as quickly as possible. Yeah. Also, life was seen as just a temporary state before the soul entered the eternity of heaven. So, despite the grief the family felt, there was also a sense of joy that the deceased person had passed to their heavenly reward. Okay. Now, during the Victorian era, however, oh no, the lines between life and death began to be blurred, and new ways of dealing with death became popular. Many of these customs became popular in the Appalachian region, uh, namely Eastern Kentucky, obviously here. Yeah. Um, and actually, I remembered some of these happening when I was a kid in Western Kentucky back in the '60s. So they still continue. Oh, okay. Um, Due to the extreme isolation of the area, even older customs also prevailed, and then some customs continued far past the time when more populated areas were abandoning those customs. Because news hadn't traveled that for far the, yet. Yeah, for the more modern sterility of today's death observances. Um, so, even before any deaths, families often saved up money for death expenses, which I hadn't really thought about, but when I read it, I thought it was like, that makes total sense, given the time. Yeah. Especially for things like coffins and clothes. Uh, in fact, uh, oftentimes families would go without while saving up for burials. Oh, no. So, like, if you picture, like, 
a Victorian family or an Appalachian family like, you know, not buying shoes for their kids for a while because they were knew that they might have to bury their kids for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, usually the first sign that a, a town or an area would have that someone had died was the tolling of church bells. Okay. Which we don't really hear a lot today. Right. But traditionally the bells would toll once for each year of the deceased person's life. So many times if a community was small and or close knit enough, you might have a good idea who had died. Just based off Just based off by how many times the bells would toll. So like if you knew a certain person who was 65 was getting up there and getting sick. And (laughs) then you heard the bells ring 65 times. That then you had a good idea. Like one, two, one, two, three. Oh, I bet like people stopped in their tracks when oh, they who died? died. Who died? Who died? Who died? I remember hearing about that. In, I read a book when I was in school. Yeah, called Fever. Yeah. Oh, it was Fever. About the Fever. Yeah. Fever. Seventeen ninety three. Yeah. yeah. And they talked about the yeah the church bells tolling yeah. whenever someone would die. I mean, they would never stop. Like, right now, they would never stop if oh, we no. still did It'd that. Constant. It'd just be constant. They would all bleed together. We'd think the yeah. person who died was... A hundred million years old. Because exactly. that's all we'd hear. We lost the world's oldest person today. <laughs> we lost one person who was 20 million or several other people who were not. They all bled together. We yeah. can't keep track anymore. And traditionally, bells scared away evil spirits. Okay. And that's why they were told. Uh, next, a very important ritual took place, which was the washing and dressing of the body. And this was usually done by either close family or close friends. Men traditionally washed men. Women traditionally washed women. Not only was great care taken as a mark of respect for the dead. Um, also, the dead were dressed in their finest clothes as a mark of respect for what they would be in the hereafter. Um, if the dead didn't have any clothes that were considered fine enough, usually someone would donate a suit or a dress. Um, also not only were the people doing the washing, trying to do it before the body began to smell, they were usually trying to get it done before rigor mortis set in. Yeah. And oftentimes bodies were tied to a board to keep them from jerking upright as the oh. as the muscles settled or from limbs tightening and when i was a kid i was actually told a story about a family who was trying to move a corpse and get it ready for the viewing and they moved it and then it moved on its own and let out a sigh like a breath yeah and it's like it like psychologically damaged the people who were oh, working I'm sure. on it. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, oh my god, yeah, they're they, not really dead. Yeah, they were exactly, and they were like <laughs> screaming and stuff. Yeah, well, that's just what happens to bodies. It is. Yeah, the human body is weird. Oh, totally. That's yeah. my hot take from this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people are weird in every respect. Um, while this was happening, other people would begin arriving with food. And food has been a part of funerary practices probably from the beginning of funerary practices. Um, in this case, the food was meant to help feed the people who would be coming in for the funeral and to the relieve the family of at least one burden they would have yeah. to bear. Uh, traditional funeral foods include fried chicken, ham, green beans, potatoes, cornbread, deviled eggs, coleslaw, casseroles, 
traditional desserts, i.e. comfort food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, some foods were meant specifically for funerals, though. There's a there's a dish there's a dish called funeral pie or raisin pie um, that was popular because raisins were a staple that could sit in the pantry for a while and then just be put together at a moment's notice. Uh, I would hate it, by the way, because I don't like raisins. But other than that, <laughs> uh, funeral cake, funeral bread were similar, and they they were usually made of staples that were in the pantry. Um, whatever you could find yeah. just throw it right. in right or eventually or eventually they were also in the ice box yeah um most women had a few like a few funeral recipes that they could make at a moment's notice okay from common ingredients and then just take wherever they needed um also, at this point, uh, male family members or members of the community would begin dig digging the grave. Uh, this was usually considered part of their societal duties, and people did not charge for this. Oh, okay. Okay. Originally, oh. yeah, I know. <laughs> grave um, diggers. Yeah, grave diggers. Originally, graveyards were private spaces that families would set aside out of their own lands, uh, hopefully far enough away uh, from the main residence that uh, diseases would not be an issue, although we know yeah. times that that has not happened. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's why there is one up by my house. Yeah, maybe. That was just the family that lived there. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the Victorians later introduced the concept of a large landscaped space that could be used as a non-funeral funereal recreation space. Like Cave Hill Cemetery in Louisville and Lexington Cemetery. Lexington Cemetery is beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Oftentimes in Appalachia, problems would arise making, making burials difficult. For instance, sometimes it was hard to dig a grave on a hillside. Uh, in later years, even dynamite was used to dig out a grave. Oh, Jesus! Uh, also, obviously, winter would be an issue without modern tools. Oh, yeah, because ground would be frozen. Sometimes they would dig down as far down as they could and pile dirt on the coffin as high as they could. And that was as much as they did for a while. Uh, in other instances, bodies would be kept in cold places like cellars, even the barn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got grandma. Grandma's in the barn. Grandma's in the barn. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things they talked about. Like, there's a house. It's not in... Well, it's not in Appalachia. It's real, real close. Um, Prospect Place. Okay. In Ohio. And one of the ghost stories there is that there was a little girl that had fallen off the balcony, I believe. And it was in the middle of winter. And she was kept in the cellar till they could dig a grave for her properly and her mother just went down there and just stayed like could not uh -huh. get over it and especially the way normally it would happen when you know that happened and you know you would bury your child and then you would begin a grieving process yeah and then that was like one of the that's like one of the ghost stories there so hmm. all right so where the hell was I oh um one of the major differences between modern death customs and customs in the past is the headstone. 
as opposed to today to today's often elaborate markers is the simplicity of headstones of the past oftentimes it was a mere slab of rock yeah uh, with barely a name on it, if that. And sometimes graves were not even marked at all. Uh, in contrast, sometimes graves were also covered with grave houses, oh. which are exactly what they sound like. Okay. They're like little houses, little, like, look like sheds or something like that, that are built around and over a grave. And uh, they could be made of several different kinds of materials. They could be made of rocks, logs, milled wood, bricks. Whatever they had handy. Whatever they had, yeah. And it's believed that grave houses were adapted from Native American structures or from Scotch-Irish tombs. Uh, they were built mostly in the late 1800s to early 1900s. But the earliest ones date to at least as early as the 1830s. Okay. Uh, sometimes people would be buried in box tombs or table tombs and a box tomb was box tombs were usually local stone or occasionally brick and were enclosed on all sides above ground and table tombs were slabs of rock placed over the grave and sometimes or sometimes not but sometimes supported by columns or stones over the grave so kind of like lifted up okay um, so while this was going on, other people would be making the coffin. Uh, in an isolated area, people probably wouldn't have anyone who had a ready-made coffin available. So coffins would have to be built as needed. You couldn't um, just go, couldn't to, the just go to the funeral home because they didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, originally, in fact, large logs were cut and hollowed out and used as coffins. Oh, that's cool. I know. I was shocked when I read that. Yeah. Um, That's kind of like a tube coffin. Yep. It's like you got buried in one of those things that the banks have. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> and you just go up the chute to, to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> or down or, the chute. Or down the chute. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or down the chute. Um, Depending on what kind of person you were. Yeah. Uh, and what you believed. Uh, yeah. Then people were buried in actual coffins, and they were made to measure, and they had the traditional coffin shape, which kind of angle out yeah, towards the, the arm. Yeah. Um, and eventually, caskets grew in popularity with the implication that something precious was going inside of it, like a jeweled casket. Okay. Yeah. Um, so a very important part of death rates is the setting up. That's what they call it. Uh, or in some places awake, obviously. Yeah. Um, in ancient times, the living would watch over the dead, at least in part to make sure that the person was actually dead. Dead, yeah. Um, even in recent times, with medical care that could be considered um, haphazard at, or spotty at best and uh, totally absent at worst, um, this had to be a reason on some level that people continued to set up with the body of the deceased. Um, also, it was a time to reminisce and for friends and family to pay their respects for the dead and to the immediate family. Um, sometimes food would be eaten. Uh, usually less close family and friends would leave by midnight. 
sometimes too it seemed that it was a way to introduce younger people to death in a less stressful way than by saying helping with the preparation of the body yeah you know you have to go like you, you have, have to, you help have to go with, help wash a body yeah, yeah. let's go not help. let's not do that but Let you them. can come sit like come help us sit with the body yeah yeah um it was considered a good sign too if someone had a spiritual waking in a setting up so if they like made some kind of you know they were like oh i've discovered like i'm born again then the then the then that person who had died was going to heaven was okay. there thinking um so wake was and still is popular with irish and irish american people this is more of a celebration of life of the departed with music stories dancing and liquor uh popular parts of the rape often the body of the deceased would be propped up somewhere in the room as if he or she were actually still attending oh my god <laughs> yeah because <laughs> up in the far <laughs> corner in a corner somewhere <laughs> with a glass of beer in the hand i like imagine too like if it's in a church just sit it in one of the random pews in the and middle then of the church. Somebody comes, hey, dude. Oh! <laughs> hey, well, how's it going? Oh, God! <laughs> hey, man, are you? Oh, no, you're not okay. <laughs> you're not okay. Hashtag, oh, no, you're not okay. <laughs> Ma'am, where is Call your head? To, uh, Bobby oh, Mackey. Bobby Mackey's. Where is your head, Where is your head, ma'am? <laughs> uh, I mean... We're getting, we're getting to the point now where we have so many episodes that we actually do have callbacks. Yes! I know. I mean, like, no one's listening, but it's fine. Um, we're just shouting into a void. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Um, so, other dust customs include the following. Uh, clocks were stopped at the time of death, and this was a mark of respect for the dead. Yeah. Mirrors... Were covered. were covered with yeah. black cloth and if they weren't the next person who saw themselves in the mirror would die which also makes me wonder about the Velisca yeah. house because huh. yeah because they had all their mirrors covered they did yeah but also I will say uh you so like with that you don't know if that was somebody from like an area where this was a popular custom or if this was somebody who just couldn't look at themselves at that yeah. point. But there's a book we're probably going to talk about at some point because it's one of my favorites called The Man from the Train. And it's like it, a whole series of these murders oh. that Velisca is only like a part, a small part of. Oh. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, if the deceased person, this is random, but hey, if the deceased person was a beekeeper, the hive had to be told of the death or else the bees would leave the hive. <laughs> Seriously, sometimes black strips of cloth were put up around the hive to let the bees know that the beekeeper was dead. Okay, so they didn't walk up to the beehive and be like, okay, bees. Bees. John, John died. John died and can't take he care can't of take you. can't take care of you anymore. anymore. So we're going to have his son, yeah. John Jr., take care of you guys now. Just stay in the hive. Just to let you know what's going on. Don't leave. Don't leave. Okay. Keep making that honey. Keep we making honey. Our, we love our honey biscuits, so keep making that honey. Good bees. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Doing a good job keep going it's just an opportunity for a pep talk <laughs> for the bees for the excuse excuse for a pep talk for the bees 
Okay, so coins would be placed on the dead person's eyes. To pay the ferryman. Yes, that's originally what they were. Pay the ferryman over, uh, over the river sticks. Later, the more practical purpose was, in fact, to keep the eyelids closed. Okay. <laughs> but uh, also, it supposedly also kept the dead person from uh, seeing anything until they got to heaven. That okay. was also the thinking. Uh, the family would wear black. Black was traditionally used so that people could not be seen by evil spirits. Oh. That's, uh, that's, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, the widow had to wear black for a year and a day. And then she was allowed to add grays and dark purples to her wardrobe. And mourning for a widow lasted for two years. Oh Unless you're Queen Victoria, in which case it lasted for the rest of your life. As we know, <laughs> except for when she was, you know, John Brown in it. But hey, no. um, and it was popular to put sentimental objects in the coffin. And if you read anything also about Queen Victoria, you, like every coffin she had anything to do with was just crammed full of like doodads and knickknacks and shit. <laughs> She's junk. Just stuff. Well, I'm sure she didn't think of it that way. But Oh, no. Like, I think in her coffin, like... One picture she had was a picture of Prince Albert. She had a picture of Prince Albert in one hand. She had something else in the other. And then they tucked stuff around her, like around her head and stuff. Bury me with my crown. Yeah. Oh, no, they're never going to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Those, those crowns cost money. <laughs> those crowns cost I'm sure money. I'm she wanted to be buried with it, though. Yeah, you could bury it with a paste one. That Not would be fun. one. Yeah. From the Dollar Tree. Yeah. Just go buy one from the Dollar Tree and bury her. I have one from Walmart I wear sometimes. There we go. It makes you feel good. Uh, the person who died might not have a funeral right away. So if the town was served by an itinerant preacher who traveled on a circuit, the deceased might be buried before the funeral and then dug up or brought out from the barn or cellar or whatever um, till the priest got there. Sometimes the preacher might only come once a year, so if it had been a really bad year like now, um, there might be there might be funerals for like a day. Bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. <laughs> Bring out your coffins. Um, the preacher is here. We can bury them. We now. can bury them now legally. I mean, not legally, but you know what I mean. Uh, officially, yeah. If the family could afford it and it was available, a coach with four to six black horses would be hired to take the body from the home to the church and then from the church to the graveyard. Um, there were uh, very occasionally things known as death crowns, angel crowns, or feather crowns. And in the days when feather pillows were used, sometimes a woven cluster of feathers might be found in the pillow of an ill person, and it would be in the shape of like a crown or a halo. And when this was found, it was believed that the person would die soon. And if it was found in the, in the pillow of a dead person, it was believed that the person had gone to heaven. Okay. And the feather crowns were normally, like, they were spiral. They were about two to three inches in diameter and were, like, in a spiral. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when embalming came in, at first people would be embalmed at home because there were still no funeral homes. Yeah. So it was like that scene in The Crown in the first season when the king gets embalmed at, at home. Okay. But it's for a different reason because he was better than everyone else. Well, that was yeah, why he, he was, was embalmed. Yeah. Um, so... 
there are other also post-burial traditions oh. and one of the well i'll get to it in a minute okay <laughs> uh, so graveyard quilts and they were also called cemetery quilts yeah. mourning quilts coffin quilts or memory quilts uh, were popular works of art that also worked to preserve details of a person's life at a time and place when paper records could be sketchy uh, some of them were made with popular quilt patterns uh, which had a black panel in the middle and had the name of the deceased and like, um, you know, like their date of birth and death. Yeah. And more elaborate ones. And there's one, I think, in the Kentucky History Museum. Yeah, there is. Yeah, that looks like it has a cemetery sewn into the mm -hmm. middle. And then it has coffins on the outside with people's names. And as they died, that coffin was taken from the outside and put into the like graveyard in the middle clever i know I, yeah it's i mean it's pretty smart um others were more like crazy quilts with the name and birth date and death date of the deceased and some of them used clothing you know that the deceased had had worn yeah and others had picked pictures quilted quilted in it of things that the deceased person liked like uh, a favorite flower or a specific like animal that they liked and uh, oftentimes <laughs> dog, dogs cats like yeah chickens birds even goats. yeah goats <laughs> i mean i assume um oftentimes a marriage date and children's birthdays and possibly death dates were used as well um okay this one I did not find in a book about Appalachia. Okay. But it was a Victorian one, and so I feel like there's it's possible that they existed. And this was mourning dolls, and they were found in wealthier areas. So they were less of a mountain tradition, more part of the Victorian period. But by this, like, by later times, there were people coming in who were wealthy, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like coal mine owners and you know people like that anyway if a family was wealthy enough and had lost a child uh, they would often have a life-size wax effigy of the child made for the funeral uh. yeah often they would be dressed in clothing of the dead child and the hair would be made out of the dead child's hair oh yeah that's creepy and usually these dolls would be displayed during a setting up or awake in a coffin like setting then the dolls would be left at the graveside but we know that some dolls were kept by the family because they're still existing so i mean they're still there and they would be kept in a crib and changed and bathed just like a living child Ugh. yeah i think there's a horror movie about one of those i think it's called the boy oh god Ooh. That they they hired this woman to come in and take care of this doll. Oh God! And the doll like moves around on its own. The the kid's not actually really dead. He's living in the walls. It's a weird movie. Uh, <laughs> I've yeah. never seen it. But I just know it's a weird movie. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> um, so the bodies were cloth and they were weighed with sand. Sometimes the doll would be framed. And older children usually only had their heads and shoulders cast in wax so that they could be framed. Okay. 
And then morning. That would take too much wax to yeah. make a whole tea <laughs> yeah. in nature. We don't. Yeah. Cause how, imagine how many pigs you'd have to kill to get that much tallow. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Your uh, whole. Your whole slot. Yeah. <laughs> well, we got to eat this ham. <laughs> We're having ham for dinner <laughs> for the next, next year, year, guys. Yeah. And, and, bacon. and also meet my wax child. This is my wax son. <laughs> Un, yeah, as possibly maybe related. <laughs> meet my wax child. Um, so morning hair art was another way of remembering the dead. And this actually had a history that began well before the Victorian era. Hair art was often part of a female's needlework and craft training in the 1700s. However, the deaths of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and the Civil War in America uh, started trends for memorabilia. And the death of Queen Victoria's consort, Prince Albert, in 1861 helped start a fashion for highly designed mourning jewelry involving hair. And um, Queen Victoria roared jewelry with Albert's hair in it from his death in a December 1861 to, his de to her death in January 1901. Oh my god. So yeah, almost 40 years. Um, originally the jewelry was simpler, but as the era progressed, like with everything else in the Victorian era, not only, yeah, <laughs> not only was intricate jewelry being made, but dioramas and other displays using hair were being created. What is it with our fascination with hair? Dead people. I don't know. Not only were women creating it at home, though, but workshops and retailers such as Tiffany and Company oh. made this jewelry. Other designers would pulverize the hair, which don't ask me how they did that, and mix it with pigments to do miniatures, often with locks of hair on the other side. Okay. Um, hair was also collected for other reasons, especially if a family member was going away for a long time uh, but sometimes from living um, from living members as well just for sentimental reasons um, the practice died out around the turn of the 20th century but a few artists still work with hair as part of their palette huh yeah okay now hair was so I, d I artistic. Know. well the only thing I knew about was like knitting and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then like felting and that kind of stuff but you can't really i don't think you can felt with human hair can you because it's not made the way like sheep's hair yeah it sheep's doesn't wool is it doesn't stick together yeah anyway well this next topic okay this next topic is what i wanted to do a whole episode on but then i realized that a it was way more visual than uh, a podcast can handle and b i couldn't really find enough on it okay but anyway uh maybe someday if we decide to do a youtube series which we probably will okay morning photography oh yeah was relatively common even in appalachia this carried on the tradition of morning portraits or deathbed portraits um, however, since the invention of the daguerreotype in 1839 opened up the market for uh, a physical representation of a person to, person to a much wider audience, yeah. um, people who couldn't afford like a painted portrait, they could at least like often, you know, get a photographer. Yeah. Um, so soon middle and lower class people could have a portrait um, made 
Uh, children and babies sadly make up much of the collection of postmortem pictures because the childhood death rate was so high. Yeah, that's why they yeah. had 800 yeah. kids. Yeah. Many children's postmortem photographs were almost certainly the only portraits ever made of them. Oh. The stillness of the deceased made them perfect studies for the camera. Oh, yeah. Since at that time, people had to remain still for up to 10 minutes to get a picture oh that wasn't out of focus. God, I can't imagine that. Yeah. These were often cherished as the only mementos of a child, and they were hung in the home, made into lockets, and sent to relatives. Um, if a death was sudden, a photographer would need to be contacted by mail or on foot, and if it took the photographer a while to get there, considerable, I'm sorry about this, considerable decomposition may have taken oh. place by the time the photographer got there. Like, oh, there's no. pictures of, like, yeah, I don't even want to go, but there's pictures of, like, people being taken, like, having their deathbed picture taken from, like, outside a house or from another room that I saw in this one book and I was wondering like they just said it was like unusual and I was wondering if it, it was like because they were, the, they were so decomposed they stank so bad they could, that they even, could they the photographer was like I'm not getting any closer than this it probably like, wouldn't look as good if they were right up on too. it and you could see all the decomposition because yeah. you yeah. don't want to you don't want the proof that that person is dead in that photograph yeah you're hoping not to have it you're hoping to <laughs> have them Look Looking alive. decent, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. The, if a death, yeah, okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh. Alternatively, even if the photographer was close by, any journey that the dead body made to the photography studio might have damaged it. Uh, the cause of death might also result in a gruesome portrait. Because there's pictures of, like... Um, children that have be, like been sick for a long time like in suits that are too big for them and they have that like sunken eye look yeah. because they were so sick before they died like there's they just didn't look well when they were exactly when they died yeah so they can't really make them look there's just no question that they were dead like, yeah there's no question um Crude embalming practices may also have taken their toll on various corpses. Yay. Oh, no. Even if the photographer had plenty of notice and was able to come to the home, the ravages of the illness might often make the deceased uh, difficult to look at. However, many photographers who specialized in postmortem photographs were so good that it can be difficult to tell whether the subject is alive or dead. Oh, and there are man. actually, like, photographs where there's like huge debate that goes on about whether people are like in the photo like are they dead which one is dead if there are any of them are dead like they oh, were God. that good at it Damn. yeah um photographers sometimes painted eyes on eyelids and rosy cheeks to uh make their subjects look lifelike is that and kind of the beginning of what we do today probably making them yeah i would look alive so. yeah I would think so. Yeah. Um, and cosmetics also began to be used. Yeah. Um, family members. Uh, this part. This is why I really want to do like a. Because it's hard to. Like it's easy to explain this. But it would be so much better of an explanation. If you could say. Now look at this picture. 
look at this how this is happening if you can find some i can put them on the instagram page oh there's tons of them yeah no no, no. Yeah. family members were often used to prop up the dead Oh, and many parents wanted a picture of their living children with their dead ones. Oh, so the looks on some of these poor children's faces, I mean, is just like oh, you just no. feel so bad for these poor little kids who had to stand there next to their dead sister or dead for brother. Ten minutes for like ten minutes. Not while, moving. Well, not moving. Oh, my God. Like, it's I just can't. a nightmare. Ugh. Holding their hand. Well, like, that was one of the things that they said that you could kind of tell sometimes when people were dead because the living will, like, kind of not touch them or not, like, or, like, they'll touch someone else, but they'll, like, have their shoulder to somebody and being, like, holding them up. Like, that was one of the ways, and, like, the looks on some of these kids' faces is just, like, a nightmare. Like, oh, my God. Uh, photos, and they said, like, this one book that I, I'll, t- I'll tell about the book at the end, but the, this one book that I had, the photos of the twins, where one twin has died. Oh, no. And the other is, like, having to take a picture of them. It's just, like, oh, my God. Heartbreaking. And often... Oh, and often there are accessories in the picture that let you know that it is a post-mortem photograph. Um, flowers or corsages on someone, for instance, is often a sign of death, actually. Oh. Um, often, smell you would think, yeah, that. <laughs> and you would, but you would think that even without that, that it would be like the living person. Yeah. The living person would have the living flower, but no. Um Often you can see a stand propping the deceased up. And in some postmortem photographs, um, as we know. Oh, and actually some of the photographs, they were like, you can see it's a person, but they're covered with a black cloth and they're like holding like a child. Huh. And that's just like creepy as hell. That is really creepy. Um, and in some postmortem photographs, the photographers added ghosts to the deceased or added uh, ghosts to photos of the living. Um, after the 1900s, the practice declined steeply since more people had access to snapshot cameras so they didn't have to rely on like a deathbed picture yeah. as being like the only picture. Um, but postmodern photography is still practiced in Appalachia, especially in funeral homes. Okay. So. That's you, interesting. Yeah. I know, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, it's creepy as hell, but it's fascinating. Um, So there's a custom called Decoration Day, and it's usually held on a Sunday, usually in late spring or early summer. Um, Family and friends gather at the local cemetery to clean around tombstones, arrange flowers, and tidy up in general. Uh, People fix food, sometimes a choir gathers, a preacher speaks. Um, it functions as something like a family reunion. Um, sometimes people used to call Memorial Day Decoration Day. Okay. But this seems to be a different kind of thing. Like, this, that seems to be more aimed at, like, deceased military people. Yeah. The Decoration Day that they were talking about in the book seems to be more like just, just anyone. Yeah. Yeah. 
for um, a family to go hang yeah. out at the grave of right. their dead relative right. and just make sure everything's okay yeah you know just show that like we're still thinking about yeah. you we, yeah we still remember you yeah yeah um so as funeral homes became more popular uh these traditions slowly started to die out uh, many people in fact resented the funeral homes for placing so much distance between the living and the dead the way it hadn't been you know yeah the way it, hadn't it had been, been a very yeah. intimate well not intimate but yeah a very close yeah well intimate is correct though. yeah yeah because i mean if you're a child like if you're a mom who's died like your daughter would be expected to be the one that took care to of care you. your body yeah, yeah. exactly um, and it was like kind of the last thing you could do with right your exactly dead family member right but some traditions still hang on amongst those who remember and value the old ways. Aww. That was my last sentence. Aww. Thank you. I thought that was like, in, I was like reading about it, like in a couple different places. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. But the book that I got, well, there's like several books and articles online about all of this. But the book I got most of the information from was a book called um, Mystical Mountains. Okay. And I don't remember who wrote it, which is not a help. No. But it's, uh, like, they talk about, like, they have ghost stories. Oh, and, cool. Like, it's a really cool book. I yeah. happened upon it. Well, let me just say that if there's a book about it, I will do a topic about it. So, <laughs> uh, and I saw a book at, at uh, Half Price Books, decided to get it great hundred per it was ten dollars it was a hundred percent an excellent purchase awesome yeah so i don't have to do my you were talking about death yeah i realized that i had done my research on octavia <gasps> oh my god but, and it's only a page do you, you want to do it yeah let's do it okay okay so because it kind of relates yeah it does a little bit okay yeah so this is octavia smith hatcher yeah she was born may 21st 1870 right in pikeville yeah there was an outbreak of an unknown disease that ravaged the entire community uh -huh. especially younger children yep one such child was jacob hatcher the infant son of octavia smith hatcher yeah in 1881 okay january of 1881 okay octavia became extremely depressed at the yeah. loss of her child yeah and over time she became ill and slipped into a coma oh no in so i read two different dates i don't know which one was okay more accurate yeah there was may of 1881 or may 1891 that she fell into the coma yeah her husband called the local doctor who pronounced her dead okay upon arrival embalming wasn't a common practice at that yeah, time exactly as we just learned yeah uh, and it was a hot summer, so they buried her quickly. They yeah. Buried her. Right. Other people in town started going into comas, but they all eventually woke up. Right. From these comas. Yeah. Her husband realized he had made a mistake. Whoops. And <laughs> dug her body up. Oopsie. When they opened the coffin. Yeah. They discovered it was scratched and torn to pieces. Yeah. After seeing this, her husband reburied her in the same grave, 
and had a lifelike monument erected. Okay. So basically, she was buried alive. alive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. James Hatcher was one of the wealthiest men in Pikeville uh, from mining and timber. Yeah. His coffin had a latch on the inside because he was afraid of being buried alive like his wife. Yeah, I bet he was. That wouldn't really help much because you'd still have to dig yourself out. Yeah. That's why they had the bells, right? The bell, yeah. The bell system. Put the bell inside his hand. Yeah, so they can ring it. I'm alive! I'm alive. Come get me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Graveyard shift. Yeah. Pikeville residents who live near the plot say that they heard sounds of a kitten crying in the area. Oh, dear. But the sound would stop and people would approach. Wow. Others hear the sounds of a woman crying. Oh, yeah. I bet they do. photographer captured a mysterious mist around the statue of Octavia. The most common story is the statue will turn away on the anniversary of her death. Huh. Okay. Octavia was 19 when she married James Hatcher, who was 30. Oh. Well, that's all right. When the... Oh, this is... Oh, this is horrible. When the coffin was opened the first time... Yeah. They found her fingernails were broken and bloody. Yeah. That... Oh. Yeah. This is... This is just an urban legend. Yeah. Because there's no proof of it actually happening. Right. But it was terrible and horrific. And, and not something we really want to think about anymore. No. <laughs> okay. But well, I figured that'd be a good kind of way to end that. Yeah. It correlated and... It does correlate. We, It was on the list to talk about and we had a couple extra minutes to kill. All right. So, do we have anything else to close up this episode? I don't know. We don't have a lot of time, so we I'm going to go with no. Okay, so <laughs> send us an email. Creepy Kentucky at gmail.com. And we have a Twitter. And we have an Instagram. I'm like the president. We have a Twitter <laughs> and an Instagram. <laughs> at Creepy Kentucky. We also have a Google, so. Yeah. I'm like the president. We have an email. <laughs> I'm like the president. <laughs> I mean, not that uh, we're enjoying that. I think we just lost, like, uh, five of our listeners. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, whatever. Really. <laughs> All right, until next time. Kentucky, what, what the, the hell? hell?